0: Welcome to the Rethinking Revenue Podcast, where CEOs, revenue leaders, investors, and go-to-market experts share hard-fought lessons of success and failure as they've prepared their businesses to evolve beyond the status quo. Now, let's meet your co-hosts, Ed Porter and James Roris. Ed is a fractional chief revenue officer and founder of Blue Chip CRO. He helps CEOs fix revenue problems inside marketing, sales, and customer success teams. James is a CRO's secret weapon. Creator of Wins Selling, he helps revenue leaders simplify sales success by developing cross-functional go-to-market teams and establishing certified sales pipelines. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show.
1: All right. We are here with another episode of Rethinking Revenue. Um, We're joined by a a good friend of James and I, as as well as a colleague. um, Brian Gregory is the founder and CEO at FMX. And FMX provides facility management software to companies that operate facilities that, that need help running them more efficiently. So, Brian, thank you. Welcome to the Rethinking Revenue podcast. Why don't you start us off with who you are, customers you serve, and how you guys make money?
2: Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks, Ed and James. Yeah, pleasure Pleasure to to be here. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, Won't spend too much on myself. Um, I'll spend at least 30 seconds there, though. So I am a uh, self-confessed nerd, if if you have to ask. My background is mechanical engineering. uh, Currently CEO and co-founder of FMX, as Ed has mentioned. Uh, I have a beautiful wife that I met in high school and (laughs) decided I didn't need to change that. And it's been fantastic. And she felt the same way, which is also good, uh, twin boys, uh, so yeah. And going forward, um, yeah. So for FMX, what do we do? Uh, FMX serves high level. We serve all operations and facilities leaders around the country and around the world, like most of our business is in the U S but some is international. So I can like claim to the around the world piece, but we have around 2000 organizations that use FMX to manage their day-to-day operations. Our focus, however, is on K-12. And we have a, about a thousand K-12 school districts and that's growing every single day. Uh, and that that's our focus. We uh, help them provide a safe, effective learning environment. Um, sometimes facilities goes unnoticed and it's not anybody's fault but facilities is the type of thing that you notice when it's not working you don't say hey like i walk in this room and this room's comfortable this room's safe looks great like i'm going to call somebody no <laughs> it's like i walk in this room it stinks it's hot it looks weird i'm going to call somebody that, that that's the way that it happens so like we we kind of serve the unsung heroes um but i love it that's that's what we do
0: um and... well, you know, Brian. hey brian i've got a quick uh just to give it, uh, our audience a, a broader picture you know it's a we've all had experience in facilities we've all had experience that you're describing right it's hot it's cold it's not clean or whatever things aren't working and i've never really thought about the people who are responsible for making all that stuff work i'm really curious how did you come up with the idea what was the impetus for this and and when how long ago did this uh did you start the business yeah thanks james yeah it's been
2: uh it's been like 12 years And believe me, it wasn't like, Hey, I want to make a ton of money. The answer (laughs) is like build Sony's management software. Like, no, or it wasn't like, Hey, one day I woke up and this is what I want to do for a living. Right. Um, we got into this, uh, through a different path. So I worked for a great company. Uh, the name was dynamics engineering. They've since sold another Vergy. Um, but there we did energy projects and, uh, by energy projects, I mean like we we worked with organizations that um, had budget constraints, mostly K-12. And we found ways to solve that and pay for it through energy savings. And one of the first projects I did was a school here in Ohio called Guru Fort Madison. Pretty big project. It was like $10 million, maybe a little bit more. I was 24, 25, something like that. I had some ownership. It's exciting. It's great. The one of the caveats, though, is that the state of Ohio made you guarantee the savings, and so yeah. you had to save the money to pay for it. But like, it wasn't just the first year. Like, hey, we saved a million. It's ten million dollar job, ten year guarantee. You're done. No, you got to save it like every year. And we learned pretty quickly that there's a lot that goes into running a facility. Like, obviously the Energy management and all the technical stuff is super important. And we could not have achieved the results without that, but we were starting to slip and we dove deeper and we realized there's a cultural component to savings. And so that, you know, when you think about the FMX foundation story, some of that is that some of that came from that, right? Like we looked into it, we, we saw that, Hey, we put in this new equipment, the old equipment failed kind of early. Now the new equipment is also kind of failing early. That's kind of weird, <laughs> but it's due, it was due to the print of the maintenance. Right. Um, also like early on in our journey for FMX, uh, nothing is better than like from an energy standpoint and maintenance than being off, right? Something's off. It's not using anything. Um, so we put in these schedules and tried to set the district up, but we didn't really prepare them for success and. I don't know all the details, but I I just know like the buildings started using more energy, right? Like they were open later. A lot of gyms are open until 10 o'clock at night. I think one of the stories was there's a volleyball game. Everybody showed up. This time it was really hot and somebody complained. Mm. Nobody complains when it's comfortable and it shouldn't be. People complain when it's comfortable or not comfortable and it should be. And so what happened is like Everything turned on all the time. But what I would say is like, we should be complaining about buildings that are comfortable when they shouldn't be like, if there's nobody there, that just means you're wasting energy. So anyway, not, not going on that path. That's when I like developed a passion for facilities leaders. Getting in this field, definitely never planned on going here, but that's where we ended up and it was good. And I also proudly we'll announce like that particular project has finished They've saved way more, uh, than they ever imagined. And it's not all due to us or me or anything like that. It's just good decisions by leadership to, you know, to make a change and we'll get into that later, nice. but it's hard to make a change. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. You know, I, I kind of think you talk about, you know, if it's, if the room is not comfortable when it should be, and I struggle with that everywhere. I go to hotels and sometimes I'm packing a fan with me because the the HVAC units just aren't, or the uh, AC units just aren't cool in the room. Like if I go to Vegas in the summer, it just, it's, it doesn't get below like 73 or 74 in the rooms and it's not great. Now you you think about it in bigger scale. So I think that's an area I work, came from the hotel, uh, selling selling the hotels. And, you know, those are big facilities that are hosting events all the time that are obviously hosting guests. And when you think about amenities and comfort and You know, I look at things like, how clean does this room really get? How often is that? I'm sure it's on a schedule in some system somewhere, but when was the last time that the top of this picture frame got... Wiped down and all of those things. It's very intricate details when you think about it. And there has to be some kind of system that organizes it all.
2: And oh, and it's all perfect. Like there's no grossness anywhere in a hotel. It's all <laughs> yeah, great. It's yeah. Definitely it's not. an operating room. Yeah, cer- about it, certainly,
1: yeah. yeah. Certainly the remote controls and the telephones, too. Those aren't dirty.
2: No, it's yeah, just been weird. That's
1: fine. But I think that's the interesting thing about what you guys do is, you know, we're not talking hotels, we're talking education facilities, but it's kind of that whole process of, you know keeping the room comfortable, number one, but then also keeping everything like literally the lights on, right? Light bulbs and go out and those need replaced, especially those big, those big uh, I don't know, the big tubes that uh, of lights that need it. But there's a lot of things that require it to keep it going. So um, so yeah, definitely complex, uh complex software that is that requires a good amount of administration. I'm sure it's the adage of garbage in, garbage out. So making sure that a lot of the information in there is is, uh, is solid so that you can get some good output. So congratulations to the entire team, not just you, but everybody at Groveport Madison for that project. That's a, when you go into a lengthy project like that, you never really know the, what inputs are going to change along the way. But that's that's awesome that it, it had that kind of output. So congrats to everybody. Um, So tell us a little bit about your role at the company and, and, and driving revenue and, and what does the, what do the teams do that you work with and how do they drive revenue? I think we got sales obviously, but um, tell us about kind of your role within that and your focus in, in revenue growth.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Like the truth is, and many people say this, but nothing happens unless you have customers and you don't have customers unless you sell something, right? Like, that is, that is the end of the chain. Like you can have the best product ever, but if nobody buys it. Is it really the best product? Maybe not. So my role, uh, Ed has changed so many times. Like, so I'm the founder and CEO of the company and I've got a lot of folks around me that definitely want to give uh, nods to, and I can't give nods to everybody. Um, But yeah, uh, like we haven't, we had an idea. We started building on that. Then we had to decide how do we actually grow this? Right. And early on we were within this engineering company. So we talked to, uh, Jeff Wilkins. (laughs) He was, uh, definitely a great, uh, leader in the space. He's been involved in software as long as software has been around. There's no doubt about it i didn't even know who he was at the time <laughs> it's kind of funny i was working like a dog uh, in the last business and i had met with a few people that all they wanted to do was give us money and i frankly was not interested so like jeff came around i thought he was the same kind of person he wasn't Turns out he wasn't he like asked a lot of thoughtful questions and asked like what challenges you got solving what are you doing yeah so we said like we're trying to improve facilities operations. We think there's room to get better. Uh, we have never lost a customer. So that's kind of weird. So, well, like we kind of care about the customers anyway, like it was, it was different. Right. So he was like one of the early ones um, going beyond that though. When I think about like growth over the years, it's pretty hard to not mention steps along the way. So yeah, so we brought Jeff in. It was great. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, we were not ready for that level of accountability and the things that make a engineering company great and an energy company great are not the same things that make a software company great. So we had to adapt. And, you know, we started growing early on from a revenue growth standpoint. And I know you guys are experts on that. We, we dialed into paid leads. It's great. Like nobody has to be an SDR. Nobody has to, get out there and find those leads. The problem is that lead source started to diminish. So early on, like we worked with a few companies, I won't name them, but it was like 70% of our, our lead growth was from paid leads. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we appreciated it. Like I said, my background was engineering. My background was not like cold calling people and asking them if they wanted FMX. Right. Whatever. So, you know, we just went out there and we, we got that. Um, but as we grew, we realized this is not a long-term strategy. And my role at that time was not CEO. It was like founder or whatever. Um, I knew though that we had to do something different. And it was awkward because I, I didn't know the answer. Like I was not the the best salesperson, but I knew we had to do something different. So we started hiring more Uh, owners that would, uh, more like sales leaders that would own their own pipeline. Eventually we stumbled on somebody named Josh Witt. And Josh, you know, hopefully he'll hear this someday. (laughs) You know, Josh wasn't like some crazy, like sales expert that had this huge background that was like, oh, we have to hire this guy. No, he was just somebody that was willing to work hard. And actually I hired Josh into this AE role. And then we had like three, I think three other AEs. We fed all of them leads that we paid for. Somehow Josh started to win, and th- and then it was kind of weird. Like, okay, this guy's like the youngest person; he has no experience. Why is he winning? Well, turns out he was like calling people off hours or out of meetings and setting up his own thing. And before he knew it, like it was clear like prospecting was a thing. And I know it's kind of silly now, but it wasn't silly then. Um. But yeah, he, he kind of reached out and started doing that. And so we saw some potentials um, and we still kept investing in paid leads, but we tried to optimize that and actually Josh kind of grew within the business um, eventually to like VP of sales, helped us optimize paid leads, but also started the engine that I want to talk about later, which would become our outbound engine. Um, the challenge is like, as you get bigger. You can't outwork every problem. Sometimes early on you hit a problem, it's kind of tough. If you're the owner or if you're a leader, you just buckle up and you get it done.
1: You, you can get- solve you can solve them if you have an infinite amount of money, right? Uh, <laughs> that that's yeah. the that's the real constraint, is right. It's it's time and time and budget. What do you dedicate and prioritizing that? So yeah.
2: Yeah, and even scale, right? You can yeah. solve it if the scale is small enough, also. Yeah, but you're right. Ed, like money which we were not willing to do once again we're we're kind of these we're, we're Midwest people we're not looking to solve money by or solve problems by money yeah, yeah and Josh worked hard and he did better and he started um, forging a path that didn't require investments that didn't make sense however, it did require more brute force and at a certain point in time we realized, you can't brute force your way out of this, like at some level, like definitely want to credit Josh for that, but we have to keep going. Right. So, um, about this time, I think we're, I don't know, maybe 2 million in ARR, maybe 30, 40 people. We had to move on and we had the conversation and, you know, we took the next step. And at this point in time, we were still probably 50% Paid leads, fifty percent not. And we knew if we wanted to control our destiny, we had to get to paid lead or uh, off of paid leads, right? Like we had to control that. Um. So we we invested more in SDRs to control our like our destiny there, like, um, and we pulled back on investment in paid leads. And the engine started moving. And at this time, like, uh, Mike Nucci moved in as a new VP of sales. Um, and kind of the mission there was let's control our destiny. Like it might cost more. It might have a longer payback, but we're going to control it. So we started that. And then, uh, moving forward, like Mike brought in, uh, an SDR leader. His name is uh, Matthew Mulvane. Um, Matthew is a former like Marine, great dude, been around a lot of different circles. Did a good job. He, he was the first person that kind of established where we are. He held the SDRs accountable. We started getting performance. Still wasn't perfect, but we saw like, hey, maybe there's some way to make this outbound engine work. And so we kept growing. Now the thing is, a business is more than its sales engine. And I think that's one of the things you everybody has to realize. And you know, once you sell something, it has to be implemented. Once it's implemented, we have to support them. We have to, have to think about product. We also have to think about culture. You know, have to think about the whole direction of the business and, and velocity of the business. And for me, I think I kind of pushed a few people out that I kind of regret that, but we've always had a, um, a managed growth philosophy here. Which at that point in time was kind of slower than others. Like we, we, we still grew like 50, 60%. Probably now in 2023, that sounds fast. That was slow. <laughs> it was <laughs> slow. Then. But we just were not willing to take on too much money. So anyway, we kind of kept moving. Uh, Matthew found his own path after that, moved on from that. And we had Mike Minucci and then Phil Moore, who actually, like, that's the. revenue team Uh, there's a few others that i want to recognize but revenue team now and i i'm happy to say like the outbound sdr sales driven approach is the dominant source of revenue for us i could not say that before Mm
1: yeah nice that's good thank you That, that was a great uh kind of journey of not knowing uh, finding somebody who figured it out and letting them kind of you know not run with it, but giving them some empowerment and direction to where Josh was able to do that. and here you go. so that's a I think that's a great testament to to you and the culture as well, the culture of the company that will allow people like that to do it and work from the bottom up and get promoted up, both of them, both Josh and Mike. So that's great, thanks, Brian.
0: yeah, Brian, I'm thinking um one thing to think about it, and a lot of the cl- folks that are listening to us today are, starting businesses or going through transformations in their businesses and this idea of rethinking revenue thinking differently about revenue solving that revenue problem um oftentimes comes down to people and it comes down to systems uh, it sounds like it sounds like you guys um had the good fortune of you know bringing josh on and having great folks uh but those folks then were able to build the systems that allows you to create that scale did you Did you recognize that difference in thinking between people and systems? And I wonder if you did anything, especially to foster that different thinking.
2: Yeah. Thanks, James. Yeah. Uh, I think giving space (laughs) to have that, to have that happen. Um, And I've failed, like I've definitely failed Um, when you're in the grind and I'm sure both of you guys have been operators before you're just in it. Right. So like, Balancing the need from your customers and CS, but also your need from sales, that's tough. And I think, you know, that's probably one of my biggest answers, James, is just like recognizing that and providing balance. And well, yep, that, and then also if you are a founder that's leading sales all the time, that's not, that's not scalable right? It just is not. It is to a certain point, but it's not forever.
1: I'll tell you, that's a big, uh, that's a great call out too. That's a big point um, to kind of think about those transitions of when you transition, you know, founders led is going to be involved to a certain point, And then the founder becomes still involved, but not like the main person. And then the founder just has an idea of what's going on and all of these different steps to to think about those that journey into now these deals are closing and and you're hearing about it afterwards, which is a great state to be in because that's what a founder, regardless of the position in the C-suite, is should be doing. So I think that's a great call out to to talk through and um, maybe I'll dive a little deeper into that to say were there points along that journey of moving you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, moving you in and out of founder-led sales was was there a point in the in the tenure of the company where you felt you were completely out of the mix? Was that five years in, was that three years in, was that 10 years? Um, what was that point where you kind of confidently can say, yeah, I was out of sales, the deals that is the deals.
2: Uh, Am am I out of sales now?
1: (laughs) Are you out of the deals? Are you out of the deals? I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Just joking. I, I don't think it's like number of years. I think it's like size. I think at, I think I like two or three million in ARR. When you think about our quarterly goals, if we wanted to grow like forty percent, if you're three forty percent means what is that one point two? So that means like four hundred thousand quarter or something. Like I could have heroics to make that happen, and so I was deeply involved because sometimes I could change a bad quarter to a good quarter. Probably like five million. I couldn't I couldn't really change it. <laughs> like it doesn't mean I didn't try. And I mm-hmm. definitely added a lot of value. Hopefully everybody that watches this or hears this would agree. But like five is kind of that threshold where it's hard to grow beyond that if you don't trust others to take over. And it's not because you're like not good, and maybe you hire somebody else to be CEO and you're still a sales leader or whatever, mm-hmm. but there's a limit to to what you can do. And like at five, uh to change. The quarter, you know, one deal at that time, at that point in time, uh, one deal wouldn't do it, right? Like just wouldn't do it. And like at, when I zoom forward to where we're at right now, it definitely doesn't do it. Like the leader has to make sure the momentum is going in the right direction and doesn't mean that still don't go out there. And I, I still celebrate relationships. I love doing that. I love meeting folks, but what I do really doesn't move the needle in a huge way. Um, And that's pretty hard when you're kind of the leader of revenue. Like I think every founder is, I mean, is leader of revenue, right? In the early days. So how do you, how do you accept that? Right. You have to put in process accountability, people you trust, you know, to push that
1: down. All right. Nice. So let's uh, so thank you for that. That I think there's, you know, there's probably no concrete playbook or concrete formula to determine that. I think, you know, there's I've heard stories of founders kind of removing themselves from the deals and sales too early um, and trying to, you know, overhire and hire somebody that'll just kind of take it over and without them, and there's a big disconnect sure. and the handoff doesn't get done well. So I've heard a lot about the horror stories. And uh, but I think this is this is a great understanding and hearing from you to talk about an individual journey and not to say that everybody's gonna be there, but I think that's good to look at revenue and start to understand what you can impact versus what you may not be able to at two to three million when you're breaking that down monthly or quarterly, you've got some some control, five million, that heck of a lot harder. So yeah, um, and six to
2: is harder, yeah, and, yeah, be honest. But it I guess that's a good point, Ed. Like I think losing sight of the importance of revenue growth, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Yeah. And I think losing sight of your impact on that. All I'm saying is that heroics only work so long. Right. Um, and it depends on your ACV. Like might be some listeners, like their deal size is a million dollars, like well shit. Like they can right. they can impact that for, you know, to 160 million or whatever, that's fine. But right. you're gonna hit a limit where you, And hopefully you hit that limit and you have others that are doing it for you. And it's, the message is not to lose sight of that. It's just to embrace it and make sure that process results in what you expect that process to result in. Mm -hmm. And that's different than you jumping in and like, okay, this thing failed, and I'm just going to fix it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, that's the way you get there. Like you just, you work hard you grind, you get there, but there's, there Every business has like a different ARR limit or teammate limit or whatever to grind, but I promise you there's a limit to everybody's grind. And at some point you have to rely on your team.
1: Very true. That's hard. That's also, that's very hard for, especially being a founder in there is how do you turn it over? How do you trust them to figure it out where it's different than how you do it? And that's, that's a hard thing. James, James is one of the people that I look up to when, when, when I hear about things like this is change, right? Change is hard. Uh, change is not just like, okay, tomorrow we're going to do things differently. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to go on a diet, right? Like that just changes is is hard. So when you think about that, um, that's definitely a, probably you've got a lot of hindsight there in, uh, change when you change what needs to happen in order to change. How do you, how do you do all that? So I'm sure you could talk for a, a lot on that. So yeah, that's a, That's a good one. Is there, you know, in this journey, and if you want to talk about this, you know, transitioning to outbound, you can, if there's another one there, but can you point to a particular time or a situation in the growth of the company where you were required to innovate, um, within the revenue organization specifically?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think recently, like we pushed on K 12 growth. We wanted close to 70% of our growth to come from that. And, um, we uh, asked the team to do that. And they innovated in a sense, I'm not gonna say this is like a new idea because it definitely isn't, but it was new for FMX, but going to a territory model. And the real benefit there is there's a face, there's a name for every territory. Everybody has different, like even though it's K, like, there definitely are common K-12 needs and that's probably like 80% of the needs, but the 20% that isn't that common need is based on where you are. Like some states require reporting in other areas. There's, you know, maybe maybe as terrible. As it sounds like there's a school shooting or something. So that you're thinking about that. Um, and then even internally, there's competition in certain areas that we have to think about. So certainly like going to a territory model, was something that I didn't think we had to do, but it really made a huge difference for
0: us. What kind of, uh, so when you think about territory model, a lot of folks think about geographic territories. They think about um, industries. You were, the idea for you guys was focusing on this industry as a, an opportunity for growth. Uh, the best way to do that was to think in terms of geographies. Um, what uh, what type of scalability did that create for the organization or, you know, benefits did it create for the uh, sales organization?
2: Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly like territories can mean anything. So we kind of zoomed it down. It's like the size of business. It's already K-12. This was a geographical K-12 distribution. Mm -hmm. Uh, The benefits were that the same teammates were at all the same shows. They saw the same customers. It was really easy to say like, Hey, if you're in this state, this is your person. And we meant it, right? Like that is your person. They understand, they know all the other customers around there. And doesn't mean we can't get better there, but like that really helped. Right. And it might not help for others that are looking to grow their business, but for us, you know, schools care about those that are around them
0: and right.
2: being territory oriented, like really helped us.
0: It sounds like what I'm getting from you is that this message that the, the movements, the, the impetus for the movements that you've been making in terms of rethinking revenue were, were, were really based on the goals of the organization, but the moves you made um, we're really based on customer-centric reasoning, customer-centric impacts. Like I can imagine. I mean, I'm sitting here nodding, thinking, "Yeah, if, if a if your reps are organized by territory, then they can point to school systems in the territory nearby or neighbors that they've worked with. They understand regional issues. They understand statewide issues. They become experts in those regulatory and other types of matters that really are going to help those buyers think of them as a trusted advisor, as a subject matter expert, which is just going to um, streamline the sales process for them and also make that client feel heard, feel like they're working with somebody who really cares versus someone who's just pitching software.
2: Yeah. <laughs> James, you just said it better. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the reason, right? But one of the things I wanted to mention is like, that was a kind of a risk, right? Yeah. Like, is that going to matter? Because before this, we had a really, um, what's the word, like fair model where we round robin Leads, so it doesn't matter, like, okay, this person, James from you know, Columbus Schools, wants to talk to you now. It's Jimmy from XYZ Manufacturing Company, now it's Ed from Columbus Zoo, whatever. Like, we kind of, why do I gotta be at
1: the zoo? (laughs) You gotta be around the zoo, I feel like you like the zoo, Ed, right? Right?
2: But we had this, it seemed like you know, I wanted to be fair, and at the point in time, I also wanted to be able to measure performance. I didn't want to have any excuse. Somebody got all these deals that were better than mine. And so that's why I missed quota and they met quota. So we did round robin, right? And I think one of the cautions here is like, you got to design process for, for the business you're running. Sometimes it's easy to make it fair between departments or between reps or whatever you want to do. And believe me, I care about my team. You can ask any of them, like, believe me, I, I do, but you can not optimize on being fair between mm-hmm. reps, between departments. You have to optimize on being aligned to your company vision, right? Like right now, our vision is being the predominant player in serving students. That might mean certain reps don't get as many leads as others. It might mean there's a different balance between sales and customer success, whatever. We were lining on that and I made that mistake so many times because it's easier to align for fairness. It's really hard to align for vision.
1: Well, fairness is also subjective, right? That's the, that's the other part. I think the, that's great that you have a better measuring stick of aligned values, which is, that's what the company was founded on and built on. So kudos to you for that realization. Fair is tough. So in that territory model, how, like walk us through a little bit about how you got to the point where territory alignment made sense. And you kind of talked a little bit about the inequity of lead distribution as a problem that occurred. What were some of the other problems that occurred along the way that led you to territory alignment needing to be the solution?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, We just got into so many discussions, Ed, where like folks were asking, who have you worked with around us? And sometimes a lot of customers, potential
1: customers. Yeah. And sometimes it'd be, yeah.
2: Customers, potential customers. Sometimes it'd be like their teammate, but their teammate that's also in the round robin next to them. Like, it's okay. Like, well, we've worked with this person, this person, but there's like three people at FMX that have worked with these people. And that answer wasn't really that great. Like, okay, you worked with Jimmy, Bobby, and Tim in your area. That's different than saying like, Hey, I own your area and I work with all of you. You know what I mean? That was part of it. So, yeah, as far as challenges for why we did it, that was one of the big challenges. Um, reasons why we didn't do it before is could we make it fair? Like, once once again, like what I said before, like it's not fair. Like some, somebody's going to have the Ohio territory, for example, right? That's where we're based. We've got a lot of customers here. Hopefully we get more. That's probably easier than territories where we don't have that. But at some point, we just have to make the decision that, we're growing here. Like we'll definitely be fair. If somebody's not meeting their target, we'll listen. But this is the best decision for the business. And I think, you know, as a leader, you just have to definitely care about your team. But don't don't care too much. <laughs> so there's <laughs> a balance. I, I, yeah, I don't mean that I don't mean that harshly, but you know, just don't care too much. Like if you're a leader, freaking be the leader. Do the right thing. And you can definitely come back and make it easier for the teammates that are impacted, but We waited a long time on going to Territory Model, and I think it's the right thing for us. Probably not the right thing for everybody. It just was for us, given the market. Mm -hmm. Um, And for all of our competitors that might listen to this, hopefully (laughs) they don't get any unfair advantage, but maybe they do. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Just care about your customer, right? Learn more about them is what it is. And Territory Model helped us do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's great.
0: So, you know, one of the things I'm curious about um, is this idea of your go-to-market strategy and, um, you know, thinking about how the sales team contributes to the insights you gain that lets you know where the next shift or next opportunity is going to come. Um, what what techniques do you use to keep your, to keep focus on the market so that you can better guide the sales team and guide that uh, and point that revenue organization to new opportunities, new markets as they go or as they come? And as the organization requires them to sustain its growth.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like definitely a good question, James. Like I, I don't know that we're doing the best job there. I think giving the team a voice. So they can say, here's what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Here's how we're concerned. Maybe we should point somewhere else. And we have changed entire philosophies based on that. So I know it's not like some crazy sexy answer or something, but really just listening in don't downplay the folks in your team that are making those calls on the front line. Cause they really do. They, first of all, they're here for a reason. They're trying to build a career and they get really good info early. And so I think just listening, but also trusting them is important. Yeah. And so I don't want to go too deep on all the changes we've made, but I I do think we should say like being an SDR, it's a great job. It is, but it's not a great job forever. And Teams need to realize that, like, hold on to those SDRs and uh, listen to them, move them on. So, yeah. for us, you know, we've always seen those guys as like investigators, researchers. We learn, we move on.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, I think, you know, Ed and I tend to work with organizations that are needing help. So, hearing, you know, from someone with success, you know, it, it makes sense to hear you say, you know, trust your team. I think the, uh, a lot of organizations are not sure if they can't trust their team, right? They're not sure if their team are asking the right questions or paying attention to the right things. They're not sure how to tell the difference between a reason and an excuse. Um, and so I think, you know, you know, that must that must speak to the leadership within your organization and how um, the kind of respect that they that they have earned from the team and the way that they lead that team to make sure that that the feedback they're getting is feedback they can trust.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like when's the last time your leaders made a demo, like like had a demo or made a cold call. Like, I think there's, there's definitely value in visiting that front line. And, um, for those that are struggling and if you don't trust the model, like, and obviously the model doesn't work for everybody. And it's, it was tough. Mm-hmm. I had all these notes I didn't share with you guys. It freaking took us like, I don't know, five years, figure it out. It's not, and I'm not saying we even haven't figured it out now. Like we're still working, but, um, it's hard, it's hard being like, I'm sure both of you guys, maybe you still are doing it, but picking up the phone and saying like, Hey, I'm Brian, do you guys have any facility management needs? Like we've got a software that can help you Yeah. click, click, click. Okay. Somebody answers. <laughs> you know, now it's a little bit easier, but it's still hard. And so I think visiting that front line, obviously understanding that, and then maybe cold calling is not for everybody like that front line. I'm not saying that what we're doing is for everybody. Right. But I think you have to find the right market where you've got some solution that definitely resonates. And if you can just hit that pain, um, it really helps. But yeah, it's hard, man. And I think there are other ways to grow. I <laughs> mean, definitely, I never wanted to grow by making more calls because it sucks. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right, but right. Often that's the answer. <laughs> I mean, but, I mean you got to do easy. what you got to do, right? It's buckle down and you can, you know, you said this. A couple times on this, and, and I love it too, is that what worked for you doesn't always work for everybody and, and vice versa. That's, I firmly believe, you know, James and I being in, we work with different clients at different points in time with different problems that are ultimately looking at the same goal, but we, we don't have, there's not one playbook. There are elements that we use that are, you know, we deploy systems, but um, ultimately there's no one playbook. It's not like one thing works for everybody. I've been in several clients where outbound isn't the way. And we've done, no. we've generated through inbound, and then I've been in other ways where outbound was the way, and it worked, and it, we found the recipe, and we built it into the customer acquisition cost model, and and it, and it worked, and then you can work on augmenting. So I, I think that's a really profound thing that you said a couple times, which is, you know, it doesn't work. For, territory It's a great, a great example. Territory may not work for everybody. Um, territory works for some, and maybe not. It would be different if you were serving maybe different industries, maybe if it were spread a different mix or heck if you even had a different product so i like that call out a lot and and i think that's one thing that when you or at least when i interpret a lot of what what's happening on social media when people are posting and you know lots of content out there it's it's every you know you can use data to an extent but you know the tactics have to change they have to adapt you have to try and figure out what works for you and then you have to define what is working mean and i think a lot of those things get Um, get overlooked a lot so I I appreciate you going into some of this and and pointing out several times that you know it's not for everybody or maybe it's not the best and but but this is what happened and this is what it does and you don't have it figured out at 16 million a year you still don't have it figured out and that's I think okay I don't know that companies ever really figure it out because once they do then it's something changes whether it's environment whether it's external threat whether it's you know a market who knows or 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 anything like that so so yeah that's good thank you for that.
2: Yeah thanks Ed I mean you said it really well like one one other thing i would say like anybody that's listening to your podcast that is earlier on if you're a founder or you're a leader you have to own revenue early even if you don't want to like don't hire somebody to do sales before you've sold at least enough to get going like sell enough to pay your salary or pay the team like otherwise you're trying to find like this miracle worker that j- is just never there. And I'm sure there are plenty of books. I've, I've read many. You guys have too, but it's true. Like, that yeah. is not like I don't wake up in the morning saying, Hey, I wish I could like pick up the phone and cold call everybody. <laughs> but early on, that's just what you had to freaking do. And yeah, um, I think it also, if you're, if you grow and you're a leader of business, then respect those that are doing that every freaking day. Like, that's hard, really hard. And they're doing it for their own career growth, not even doing it for your own business. Like for the so, business.
1: Yeah, exactly. Good call out.
2: Yeah. So I think, I think just, yeah, as a leader, if you've never done that, and even now, like you can go back and do it. And I, I still enjoy, I call it like visiting the front lines, but it isn't really that, but like, it's not, not like war or anything, but I love getting involved. With customers or getting out in, in the field and meeting face to face. Or sometimes, you know, you can look at me guys right now. We're not going to share a video, but I'm wearing like a hoodie. I'm <laughs> not that, dapper like people typically don't know who i am so i just say like hey i'm brian from fmx how are you doing it's awesome to like meet your team and i don't know i guess i would also just say like don't lose yourself if you're you know if you're in my seat as a founder or ceo like remember how you got there and don't lose yourself yeah yeah
0: yeah I that's a great that's great advice and you know i think for a lot of founders um there's a feeling like they get to they should be able to get to a point where they don't have to do the tough work or make the tough decisions, they can finally pass that off. But I think, um, to your point, how can you hire for success if you can't define success, right? If you don't know what it takes to do the job, how will you ever hire someone to do the job? And if that knowledge doesn't rest with you and it rests in an employee, then all of a sudden you've built a black box that you can't decipher. And now I would imagine that, um, the risk of becoming a hostage to that employee is very great. So it's not so much, it's not, it's not so much this idea of, you know, protecting you from that risk, but it is this idea of institutionalizing the information that is responsible for your success. And if it, if it's, if it resides in those um, hidden areas that you can't access, then you, you go back to your point about scalability, it can create a real problem for you.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the, I think the, the underpinning here too is like we, none of us have a crystal ball. So you're trying to make changes and hopes for a better tomorrow. And a lot of these changes, we don't know how they're going to work out. You're hiring somebody else. You're high. You're adopting a new technology, Brian. I know you got a net suite story there. So, uh, when, you know, when you go through these different events, it's, you're just hoping for the best quite frankly. And, and I think you, when you live in a world or you've done the job, it, it certainly helps. It gives you a little bit better insight. You know, I can be, in the ivory tower making decisions about what the front line is going to be doing but if i haven't done it, it it just makes me more disconnected from it so ultimately you're trying to use the best amount of information you can to make the best decisions and hope that those decisions pan out so um you said this best brian is uh you know cold calling is hard um when you're trying to do it but when it's trying to start your business, it's a means to an end. There's the excitement. You're still trying to grow. You believe in what you're doing, and that's the drive. When you have somebody else do that, you're paying them a job. It's certainly not as emotional. It's not theirs, right? It's not their company. So, how do you keep the momentum alive? How do you keep that going? And how do you mentor those people and coach and develop those people? It's, it's, it's a hard role. But, um, but all in all, again, it's. Trying to, like you said, James, is defining success. And how do you understand what success looks like? And we can all say, oh, success is closing deals, right? But there's plenty of other successful things before closing deals. There's opening a great conversation. It's having a conversation with a big school district or getting, you know, somebody to call you back, right? I mean, those those are very successful a lot of times. And how do you celebrate those? So, so yeah, that's, that's great. Thanks, Brian. You know, as we start to wrap it up, um, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit of... What would be a a recommendation that you would have for for founders and leaders who are, are are thinking about rethinking revenue and looking for opportunities to innovate? What's what's kind of a takeaway that you want to leave with them?
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe just a few things here, right? So, like, first of all, since I am an engineer, like always do the math, think about like what is the best case scenario and does that actually work out. So, take a pen to paper, look at conversion rates, meetings held, like how many calls do you need to make to have a meeting, how many meetings for an opportunity, how many opportunities for a close, how many closes, you know, like what's close rate, and what does that revenue work? Like do the math, right? Like first thing, everybody do the math, see what that target, because that'll help you set the target. Uh, next, I would say be patient. Change is tough. I mean, it's really tough. And when I talk to our company, I talk about like, um, even not like Isaac Newton's law, like force equals mass times acceleration, the bigger you get, or the more you try to change both of those things, the more force it takes. And I think that applies to a company. And so if you're looking, if you're a founder and you're looking to change either size or speed or both, like those things take force and just recognize that and you have to be patient. Third one, get your hands dirty. Don't be that guy right that, that like I still do it believe me I uh and I'm not saying that I'm people are super more successful than me but I'm never gonna be anybody than you guys meet today right like get your hands dirty get in the front line learn don't rest on your laurels don't rest on your title if you see some success that's fantastic but don't bank on that because I think it's easy to do that yeah yeah. And then last last topic is um, no sacred cows. We've all heard this, right? Like sometimes what got got you to the point you are will not get you to where you're going. And that might be your technology and that that's a pretty easy sacred cow to deal with. Often though, it's people. And I'm not saying you have to fire people, but you have to challenge the team around you to get to that next level. And that is the hardest thing I've ever done and probably the hardest thing most founders will have to deal with. So... No sacred cows. I mean, remember what you're doing here, what you're trying to build for your, for your team, your customers, your shareholders. Let's keep on pushing.
1: All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brian. James, any any last thoughts before we close it up? What what's your take on this? I, I love hearing a lot of the things that go through your head. Um, and we, we align on a lot of different things, which is great. But um what what's kind of your two cents on, well, on this conversation?
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think a listener could uh, could think to themselves, hey, you know, you know, Brian, you said yourself, you got lucky by bringing uh, Josh on. But and then Josh, you know, helped you guys turn the corner. But I I feel like with when it comes to people, we make our own luck. And I think everything you talked about, beginning with. Um, taking responsibility for doing the hard work knowing how to sell knowing how to sell your stuff allowed you it made you smart enough to figure out what the definition of success would be and how to find that how to how to find that potential for success in the people that you're interviewing so a listener could think hey you got lucky you hired the right guy josh is a you know one in a million and you you found him but i think what the three of us would say is you put in your time you put in your dues you figured out what it would take to sell you knew who you were hiring when you brought him on now did you know how what kind of challenges he'd run into no but you know when jim collins talks about it, and good to great talks about this idea of hiring great people and then and then allowing them the blossom allowing them to, to do their thing this is what i think we're talking about you've got to know what the definition of success is you got to be able to to evaluate people to see if they bring what's required and then put them to work it's not about closing your eyes and throwing a dart at uh, a list and hiring the person that you happen to hit it's about being thoughtful. Um, and part of that, a big big part of that is preparing yourself to succeed. Do the work, figure it out, recognize what it takes, and be very disciplined uh, in terms of who you bring on board. And uh, when you do that and you do it right over and over again, you position yourself to do what we're talking about here, which is this idea, this idea of rethinking revenue. You can make those shifts from a position of strength instead of making those shifts from a position of weakness and then repeating all those mistakes over and over again.
1: Yeah, very well said. Thank you for that. Um, well, that uh, about does it for our time. This is this has been a great episode, uh, very insightful. Uh, you know, James and I have known Brian for a little bit, and there were things you said, Brian, that, that I didn't know about. So this was great. Thank you. Um, quick, in closing, how can people learn more about you and, and FMX? And uh, feel free to out your podcast, too. I know you just got that up and running.
2: Yeah. So gofmx.com, go fmx.com. FMX turns out it's hard to find like a three-letter URL. So <laughs> that's
0: that. They're gone. They're um, all gone.
2: Yep. Yeah. And then uh check us out on LinkedIn, Brian.gregory. Brian spelled the right way with an I <laughs> at <laughs> gofmx.com. We go. Um, we got Beyond Buildings podcast. We're we're interviewing a lot of folks that are just really inspirational, not even customers, like folks that have taken incredible paths to become where they're at. Um yeah, that's all. That's all, man.
1: All right, awesome. Well, you just heard from Brian Gregory, CEO, founder, and CEO of FMX. Uh, thank you again for your time, and thank you for sharing some insights into how you've re- rethought and rethinking revenue. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and to the audience, thank you for tuning in, and we will be back again soon.